You are entering the Freedom Hut. Some great job numbers came in this month. Things are starting to look up. The left, of course, hates that. Plus, statue-toppling ringleader arrested in D.C. Mount Rushmore is now racist. Gilan Maxwell is in custody. Jeffrey Epstein's alleged madam. And your mission this Independence Day, should you choose to accept it. Buck Sexton. Your mission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Great to have you here with me. Last live show before uh, the Independence Day holiday. So thank you so much for being here. And if you missed any of the shows, this weekend's a great time to catch up on any of the podcasts and also to share them with friends. Just going to put that out there. And also make sure you, you're tuned into BuckSexton.com. You check it out. Add it to your, uh, add it to your website's favorite list. Let's get into what's happening in the country right now. We had some good jobs numbers today. Now, I understand this is in the context of an economy that has taken a beating for months now. We had 4.8 million jobs added, unemployment rate down to 11.1%. So this is, it's not, oh, things are great. Oh, we can, you know, just rest on our laurels now or hang out. Of course not. You still have tens of millions of jobs that have been lost across the country. We got a lot of work to do. But the work has to start now. Things have got to start going at this point if we're going to be in a position to not only bring the American people out of this misery, which is more than just economic misery, right? What we've been through as a country with the lockdowns and the panic and the despair and the loss of jobs and the separation from each other, all of that, right? That has been really a freeze, not just of the economy, but of American life. As we know it, it's like we've all been in some kind of prison sentence. And that's why I think the term lockdown is, in fact, so useful here. Lockdown is what happens when they decide everyone has to stay in their cells in a prison. That's really what we've been through. We have been through this and Democrats are showing us exactly who they are and what they're all about at this moment, because just when we start to feel like maybe the end of this madness And this pain is getting closer. I'm not saying it's next month or next week or anything like that. But we are making our way through this challenge. And that's what those jobs uh, numbers are showing us, that people are starting to go back, starting to live their lives again. And the panic and fear narrative of the Democrats is starting to break. Here's what I want to say to you. I want to be very clear about this. Keep the pressure on by living your life as much as you can, as fully as you can, within your personal risk tolerance, given this virus that is still out there. But don't listen to those who have been wrong over and over again. America is getting through this. No second lockdown, no way. Not okay, not allowed, not a good idea, and not being pushed by people who have the best interests of the country at heart. Not being pushed by those who really want to see things get better right now. No, those who are pushing for lockdowns again are the same people 
who are justifying the mass mobilization of the Democrat base in the streets, the riots, the protesters, all the stuff that's been happening. That was okay. That was necessary, you see, because it was about power for Democrats. But now they want to tell us, oh, no, younger people are spreading this virus faster and faster to each other in some parts of the country. Oh, wait, the hospitals are overwhelmed. No, they're not. There's not a single hospital yet that has been overwhelmed. And also, there is no way through this virus that does not involve risk and, and does not involve losses, including lockdown, mind you. One of, I think, the, the false beliefs that has become ingrained in so many people's minds during this whole process is, well, we'll be safe if we lock down. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's not like the universal lockdown policy prevented people from continuing to get sick with this. All it means is that there are more people who are suffering from not getting cancer screenings, from not being able to see loved ones, from getting fatter and weaker and you know, less able to handle all viruses, including this virus, because their immune system is suppressed, less time in the sun, less time in fresh air, all of these things. We've been learning these lessons. Democrats want to cast this all out now. They are terrified. Let's be very clear about this. The Democrat Party is terrified at the prospect of a renewed, happy, healthy America before this election. Terrified. They don't want it. They don't want it because the whole plan here is that Joe Biden, the, the reason they've put him forward as the candidate is Joe Biden stands in as a return to normal. Oh, Joe Biden's been in politics for over 40 years. We all know Joe Biden. It's just Joe Biden, guys. Come on. Vote Joe Biden. And all of a sudden things. Will, never mind that the radical left will be calling the shots with Biden like he's some little puppet, like a little marionette, you know, pulling the strings on Biden all the time. Forget about that. That's, of course, not going to be the narrative, but that's the truth. If things get better, though, it turns into who do you really want to make decisions about the future of this country? Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Who is more likely to make decisions that will help your business, that will make it easier for you to pay your bills and the mortgage that won't allow us to get drawn into stupid wars that we don't need to be fighting? We got a record with Trump, and we've got a record with Biden from the Obama administration, as well as being a deeply unremarkable machine politician as a senator. And it's not comparable. So this this right now, this moment, you see, this is a pivot point that we're going through. I've seen all the numbers in Texas and Florida and Arizona. If if they want to limit some mass gatherings because they don't want the hospitals to get overwhelmed anywhere, I can understand that. But no lockdown. No stay in your home or else. No end to business. No, you know, shutdowns of parks and beaches. The people that are doing that. I mean, the fact that California is shutting down beaches is crazy. We've already learned. We've already been through this lesson. We have run this experiment. But the Democrats, the libs, they want to forget what the results were. They think that we will forget that they chased people for jogging alone on a beach in the open air in the sunshine. They, they would deploy cops to stop that, while also not having, having any problem whatsoever with thousands and thousands of people together, close proximity, screaming and yelling and right on top of each other for hours and hours and hours. That was okay. That was necessary because wokeness. 
because social justice demanded it. De Blasio, in fact, talked about it in New York in the context of this city where I'm currently sitting. And here's what he said about the comparison between, for example, why you you can't go to church. You couldn't go to church. Can't have religious services. But you can definitely have the protest. Oh, sure. Play clip 15, please. Essentially saying that you treated the protesters who were on the streets differently than the religious gatherings that were on the streets. Your reaction? Just wrong. Um, We worked with the religious leadership of this city for months. Cardinal Dolan in the Catholic Church and so many other religious leaders who were in full agreement that it was not time to bring back religious services because of the danger it would cause to their congregants. The protests were an entirely different reality, a national phenomenon that was not something that the government could just say, you know, go away. It's something that really came from the grassroots and obviously had profound meaning. And we're all acting on the meaning of those protests. But it's really apples and oranges. Our religious leaders were the first to say it was not time to bring back services. Now we're doing it carefully, smartly. So I I think that decision profoundly misses what the very religious institutions themselves were saying. Oh, no, 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 no. You slimy liar, de Blasio. Not going to work today. Not on my watch. I don't care what a few few, uh, religious leaders said to you or you claim they said to you. You were shutting down funerals. You were shutting down people in open air who wanted to engage in religious service outdoors. You were locking kids out of playgrounds, actually using city resources and officials to lock down playgrounds. Can't have kids out there playing in open air the same week that you had these protesters marching around. Oh, it was a national phenomenon. We couldn't have stopped that. What he's saying is important to the Democrats and the left. These idiot rabble rousers out there saying, yeah, that's right. We're going to change society. It's a revolution. Too important. He just told you. He told it to your face. You had a family member who died from COVID? Sorry, no funeral for you. But these uh, protesters who are gyrating their behinds in front of police on video and saying cops don't have fancy degrees like they do. Yeah, everyone's real impressed with your gender studies degree from Wellesley. Sure. Oh, oh, yeah. You're all so smart. One one great thing about all this is it shows us what a joke higher education has really become. You have the democratization of information now with the Internet where you can learn so much, teach yourself so much more than ever before. And it's all right there for you. And the autodidacts are rising. People who teach themselves. It becomes more apparent that those who want to read, want to learn, want to understand just have a better skill set. Than those who get a got a fancy degree. I spent I spent sixty thousand dollars a year going to American University. Look at me. Who cares? Who cares? Uh, de Blasio is just telling you though to your face. And the same thing with Newsom. And the same. I'm happy to see Lieutenant Governor uh, Lieutenant Governor of Texas uh, has said, "Look, we're not listening to Fauci anymore. This is crap." You know they want to slow down bars a little bit. I get it, right? They don't want to be in a position where the hospitals get overwhelmed, but. We are cycling through this process now. There is no other way. People will be getting infected. We're all taking risks. Every time I go to the store in New York, every time I'm outside, I'm constantly interacting with people. There are risks. That's just the way it's going to be. So we can either have America start to come back or we can just keep locking America in the closet and saying, shut up, don't ask any questions. Well, you can come out when there's a cure. And they're not doing it for your health because people are going to get sick anyway. 
and the lockdown data from Europe and the lockdown data from around the world shows that there's no direct correlation between the severity of lockdown, between the compliance of mask wearing and a much better outcome from all of this. Right. There's just the, the data doesn't support it. Democrats want to do this because it's now or never for them and they know it. An America that feels like it's coming back and that it's getting through this and perhaps even a vaccine is, is getting to be within reach. But we've already been out there increasing herd immunity, understanding more about this disease, living our lives, opening our schools, which must happen this fall. Must. That's an America that's going to have a clear head, at least enough of it will, to make the right decision this fall. And that terrifies, absolutely terrifies Democrats. Oh, they are rooting against the country. There's no question about it. They are rooting against economic recovery. They are rooting against freedom for all people that have been under these just completely capricious lockdowns. We have to fight back. They want you to despair. They want you to give up. We're not going to allow that to happen. Not on my watch team and not on yours. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Everyone needs to understand something. I was talking about the double standard before uh, between what Democrat political leaders have done with the lockdowns against the protesters versus all kinds of other things, particularly religious services, but general freedoms. And you need to remember that the lockdown libs love this double standard. They revel in this double standard. It is a vicious blow to their opponents' morale. That's us. Democrats like Newsom and Cuomo can take away all your rights on a whim while allowing their mobilized base to take over the streets. So as much fun as it is to point out the double standard, it's already established. It's already established. We, 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 don't, we don't have to put this in their faces anymore because they don't care. They're like, yeah, that's right. We did it. What are you going to do about it, Republicans? They're not really hiding from this. They like to wield power in support of their political, uh, political aspirations in this way. That is the plan. So now we get to what the president's going to try to do to get things going again. Speaking about the economy today, here's what he said. Play clip nine. One thing that's happening and you see it, you see it with the numbers and we have big numbers coming out. Hopefully they're going to be good. They're very important. But uh, when you see what's happening with jobs, when you see that we're doing record numbers of jobs in the history of our country, we've never created more jobs than what we did last month, that last month number. Uh, retail sales are at a record number, especially when you talk about increase. When you look at percentage increase, nobody's ever seen anything like it. So we're headed back in a very strong fashion with a V. And I think we're going to be very good with the coronavirus. I think that at some point uh, that's going to sort of just disappear, I hope. You still believe so? Disappear? Well, I do. I do. Yeah, sure. At some point. And I think we're going to have a vaccine very soon, too. Notice that they'll all fix it on the he said it'll just disappear. He's right that at some point it will just disappear. At least this version, this strain of the virus. Because we're, we're going to continue to see people getting infected. There'll be herd immunity or and we'll get to we're either going to get to herd immunity or a vaccine for this strain of virus. That's that is true. That is what we know about epidemiology. If there are mutations, then it's a possibility that it could come back cyclically like, say, influenza. But it is likely the mutations would make it less lethal. But notice how all of a sudden you have the 
the the panic the panic porn from the media all oh my gosh oh my gosh look at what's going on here look at these numbers we're setting a record for cases if we're setting a record for cases and it's overwhelmingly younger people who are infected and clearing the virus quickly what exactly are we what are we panicking about they never ask this question they say oh the, the a record number of cases a record number of cases I would also I would also point out that in Europe, they've seemed to get this under control. There's still some there's still some fatalities that are going on there. People are still getting this, but it's much, much lower numbers. You don't have a lockdown. You don't have widespread masking in any major European country right now. When I say widespread, more than 50 percent of the population, if 20 percent of the population is masking, that's not mass masking. Right. So how how are they able to handle this? You know, we used to look at the rest of the world and and this was always a a way to beat up on Trump. That's what they would say. And now we actually look at a per capita number and you see that America's response to COVID-19 is stronger than every major Western European country, with the exception of Germany, uh, and much better than Spain, than Italy, than the UK. Much better. So. We, we now forget about it, right? This is just the, the media does the destruction it can while it can for partisan ends and then just moves on to a different topic, right? They, just, they, call, they call in the artillery strike on the civilians. Too bad. Oh, whoops, we got the wrong. And then they just move along and they just fire artillery at the next target. They don't care. They don't care. It's reckless. Uh, we cannot allow these people to seize the narrative back in this country. Um, and... I don't know what is wrong with the Drudge Report, and I know that this uh, this has just become a it, it's a it's a bee in my bonnet, so to speak. This is a burr in my saddle. I don't know why Drudge decided to just turn against all, not Trump, but just conservatism. I don't, you know, every day I turn on the Drudge. Oh, we're all going to die! I mean, the, the panic on the Drudge Report is nuts. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've already had masks, and I want a mask. And if I'm near people, you know, you were tested, right, just now. And everybody that's around me as president gets tested. That's like standard. Uh, and I'm also, I keep distances. I'm you know, supposed to keep a distance, and I keep distances. But if I needed a mask, if I was in a crowd, a, you know, a crowd, a lot of people and everything else, I'd wear them. I have no problem with a mask at all. And I tell people, I have a different kind of a life. Being president, you have a little bit of a different life. You're not that often. I don't think it makes sense when you walk up. I see Biden walking up on a stage with there's nobody around, and the audience is 25, 30, 40 feet away. Not too much of an audience either, by the way. And he's speaking, and he has a mask on, and you can't even understand what he's saying, or he takes it off up there. When there's nobody around, I don't see any reason to be wearing it. But no, I have no objection to masks whatsoever. This, this is becoming such a bizarre argument that we have to have around masks. And Trump is spot on here. The, the, the guidance has never been to always, always wear a mask. Oh, it's crazy. Mask outdoors, the science says unnecessary. Okay? Unnecessary. But we're told, oh my gosh, you know, it's become this symbol to people. It's become a symbol. And no one's saying, you know, if, if you want to protect yourself, 
wear, you know, wear a mask, right? If you think it's going to protect you. I'll get into in a second what the science actually does say about this, because I've been reading studies about it. Actual, real, peer-reviewed studies and CDC studies from the past. There's a reason why the World Health Organization was like, look, wearing a mask probably isn't going to do that much here. There's a reason, friends. But I'll get to that in a moment. First, it's always been masks are situational, right? No one's, no one is, is going to tell healthcare personnel, uh, don't wear a mask. You know, EMTs, don't wear a mask. Of course, right? If they, they, they're in a higher risk both of transmission and of, uh, and of getting, you know, of, of having it transmitted to them and transmitting it to someone else. Infection and infected. And... Yet we're told that everybody now has to have these mask mandates in in West Hollywood. They're going to start fining people. I think it's three hundred dollars. The first offense going all the way up to a few thousand dollars for not wearing a mask in public, not in restaurants, not indoors in public. This is becoming the MAGA hat of the left. Don't you see it? Now, people will take this out of context. They'll say, oh, Buck is saying masks don't work and are bad and either. And, you know, when I go to a store, they, they demand that I wear a mask. Indoors, I wear a mask. I'm, I'm not a mask truther. I'm not sitting around. Here. But to wear a mask outside all the time, to wear a mask when there's no one within 20 feet of me is insane. It's insane. And that's now what people are talking about. Outdoor mask mandates. It's nuts. There's no basis for this other than the mask is now a symbol. It's a symbol of a sick country. It's a symbol of the libs saying, we believe in science. And also a reminder, everybody else, be afraid. Things aren't normal. Those are the optics of outdoor mask wearing. That's just the truth. Okay. And of course, as we know, the protesters, a lot of them wearing masks. So they couldn't be identified by the cops when they were breaking stuff or looting stores. Masks had a little twofer there, a little uh, extra benefit for them. And, you know, I'm just going to say this, too. And everyone's going to go, oh, my gosh. The science of masking, when we're talking now, let's be clear. I'll be very clear here. So, you know, when the losers from Media Matters, the, the incels of the left over at Media Matters, are like, oh, look what this guy said. Who cares? Uh, I want to be very clear that, let me be clear. That was a little bit of an Obama thing. There, but I want to be very clear. But when you're talking about a mask that has a respirator and can filter down to a certain level of micron, right, which means we're talking about the very, very, very small particles. Obviously, you can't see them. In the case of viruses, you need an electron microscope to see them. Uh, but some masks that are either a full covering, right? If you actually have a plastic sheet and, an, and a contained breathing, I mean, a plastic guard and a contained breathing unit, yeah, nothing is, nothing is really getting in, right? That's why when the CDC has people handling Ebola virus and things like that, they have those full suits that obviously works or else nobody would ever test uh, Ebola virus or any other pathogens. They would be taking too high of a risk. OK, so now we now we scale it down from there a little bit. What about an N95 respirator mask that's fitted properly with goggles? I, I, you know, I don't want to tell the libs too much about this because I don't want them to start mask uh, mask mandates added to goggle mandates as well. But you can get. You can get a 0.03 micron uh, size virus if, the, if it's aerosolized and free f- and free floating around the air. You can get it in your eye. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what a, you know. Your eyes are actually a great transmission area, unfortunately for us, for all kinds of viruses and things. And then, it, of course, can embed itself. So but I've been reading about this. I think it's really interesting. Cloth masking, though, which if you go back and look at the Spanish flu 
pandemic of 1918, you'll see all these people with cloth masks on. Um, cloth masks, people still get sick. That, that's been well established. So now it's a question of, it, it's not, it's not highly protective. That is a lie. It is not highly, to just have a cloth mask over your mouth is not highly protective. So, or I shouldn't say it's a, well, it is a lie sometimes, but that's, that's not accurate. Um, and let's understand why. There are two bases for transmission of aerosol, or a virus like this that's in the environment. One is surface-based, one is aerosolized. You all understand the difference, right? Surface-based is stuff that you touch and the virus lives on it after having been either, you know, touched by someone's finger that, you know, touched their nose or something or uh, aerosolized virus in the air. But assume for a second that we're not talking about the surface touching because that's where hand washing comes in. That is nothing that masking is only minimally effective for that because you won't touch your face as much, they say. But yeah, until something itches under your mask and then actually you do. So let's live in reality. The uh, cloth mask around your mouth has air going in, as you well know. It is not sealed. It is not fitted. And in fact, the mesh in front of your mouth, uh, you know, the, the cloth fabric that we're all using for these uh, something that is less than one micron is going to be able, which a virus is, is going to be able to get through the seams in that. So, they, again, this, this is all, these are all, what I'm telling you, these are all facts. This is all established. And there's, a, there's some very interesting studies, specifically from, and from years ago, not politicized, about how dentists always wear masks when they do their dentistry stuff. And they are uh, not any more likely, well, they're, they're, they're not in a worse position or a better position because of the masks, even though they're being constantly exposed to influenza, they tend to have very high rates of antibodies to common infections, which goes to show you that even with the mask wearing, they are getting exposed to viruses, but their body has good defenses against it because their body is constantly uh, being exposed to new aerosolized, aerosolized virus. And that effectively for dentists, the mask wearing thing is really just a custom. There has never been because it's so cheap and so easy. There's never really been high level peer reviewed studies of cloth masking uh, for the purposes of preventing disease. And in fact, as I've told you, the CDC has one about influenza, which would be very similar for transmission routes and everything else. We see the coronavirus where they said we can't really tell you if masking works or doesn't work. So there are some that say it doesn't really mean very much at all. The best argument you can have for it is for some people in some circumstances, it's not that oppressive, like indoors in a hospital setting. And if it gives you an additional five or 10 percent protection, let's say maybe that's worth it because you're being so constantly exposed to virus and you're just upping your odds. But for all the rest of us outside. This is all the, the, people believe this for 100 years. Everyone's been uh, a little over that. Actually, it was really late, late 19th century that medical professionals started wearing masks. And it was really to protect them from actual bodily fluids, actual fluids, right? It wasn't just aerosolized virus. It was bodily fluids that people were and as well as spewing their own bodily fluids at somebody else. But it's really more of a that was in some ways more of a politeness thing than a protecting you from virus thing. Now, I know this is all very controversial stuff, but just show, just show me the actual study done of cloth masking proving that it is highly effective against uh, corona, against any virus transmission in the air. Okay, I know I went a little deeper on that than I meant to, but I think it's important to understand that we're all, this is now, uh, this is now like a, 
an article of faith for people and no one ever really thinks about this. And it's very politicized. We know it has become very politicized. That said, Trump's like, yeah, sometimes wear a mask. Yeah, fine. I say the same thing. Sometimes wear a mask all the time outside. No, no. Crazy. Wrong. Not a good idea. What else does the Trumpster need us to do? Well, one is he's saying there's going to be a phase four stimulus. Play clip 10. I support it, but it has to be done properly. And I support actually larger numbers than the Democrats. But it's got to be done properly. Uh, we had something where they wanted where it gave you a disincentive to work last time. And it was still money going to people and helping people. So I was all for that. But we want to create a, a very great incentive to work. So uh, we're working on that. And I'm sure we'll all come together. You want the direct payments larger or the uninsurance benefits? I want larger? the money getting to people to be larger so they can spend it. I want the money to get there quickly and in a non-complicated fashion. And they wanted to make it too complicated. Also, it was an incentive not to go to work. You'd make more money if you don't go to work. That's not what the country's all about. And people didn't want that. They wanted to go to work, but it didn't make sense because they make more money if they didn't. And we had some of that, and so we don't want to have that. We want to have people get out, and we want, we want to create a tremendous incentive for people to want to go back to work. Now, you would think everybody would be on board for this, Democrats, they're they're now at the point where open sabotage of the economy is in their interests. Open sabotage. I mean, they'll, they'll come up with some reason. Oh, not enough for workers or oh, whatever it is. They will do everything in their power to make sure there is no economic recovery. We all understand why this is obvious. What I'm telling you is obvious. Right. But we need to remind ourselves of this, because what you see on the TV, you are entering the funhouse mirror land of Democrat uh, Democrat propagandaville. And we're going to be living in it from now until November nonstop. You know, usually propaganda is more effective if it's factually accurate, meaning if the facts included are accurate, uh, or at least some of them are. And also if the person I mean, this is the fake tapper maneuver. Be a propagandist 75 percent of the time. But, you know, 25 or 10 percent of the time or whatever, do your actual job, you know, do some actual journalism. And then when someone says, wait a second, you're a propagandist. No, look at the real journalism I do. This is what you'll th- that I think will be uh, abandoned now is what I'm telling you. The 75, 25 propaganda, actual news gathering that you'll see from the media is about to become a, it's all going to be about hashtag resistance and defeat Trump and making sure that the economy is in really bad shape, because that's his single biggest his single biggest point of vulnerability right now. And if he takes that away, then you just have this buffoonish and unimpressive candidate named Joe Biden who is hiding in a basement and thinks he should be president for no apparent good reason. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. He wants to defund and abolish police because that's what he's being told to do. He's not making his own decisions. The radical left is doing, I mean, they're telling him what to do. He wants to defund and abolish the police. And you see it, what they're doing in Minnesota. Take a look at what they're doing in Minneapolis. Take a look at what's going on. Now, if we didn't, if I wasn't here, Minnesota would have been a disaster because I was I was very strong. You got to get the guard out. You got to get when they finally got the guard out, everything ended. Joe Biden is going to be a puppet of the left. We have to remember that because that's going to be the narrative that the media does everything they can to fight back against there. I know right now you're like, oh, Buck, but everyone's marching in the streets and it's crazy. And they got people doing weird interpretive dances in front of the cops and spitting at them and and, you know, calling. There's that one video 
of a protester in New York calling a black police officer a traitor to his race. I mean, there's all this horrible lunatic stuff going on. They're not going to try to make Joe Biden just seem like a, you know, a normal, moderate guy. That's too. Oh, no, they will. They will. Joe Biden, a statesman. You know, Joe Biden has been in politics for 40 years. And, you know, yeah, he's just kind of like, you know, he's a guy. He's there and he's going to do his best to bring together the country. And, you know, he won't tweet about his TV ratings. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Joe Biden. Everything will go back to normal, folks. It'll be great. Like the Obama years where there were uh, where there was the weakest economic recovery out of a recession since World War Two. Uh, the expansion of the war in Afghanistan dramatically for domestic political purposes, the largest loss of U.S. life occurring in Afghanistan while Obama was in office, the anti-war movement disappearing because there are a bunch of frauds on that issue because Obama was uh, was loved by the left. And, you know, we have, we have all these things, all these things. Oh, yes. And of course, the riots, you know, racial tensions rising, Ferguson, Baltimore, all that happened. What, what do we want to get back again? Oh, the disastrous Obamacare implementation as if this is really better for people it's just a massive expansion really of um health welfare through medicaid what are we going to harken back to what are we going to say was great yeah no we're not but they're going to fight so hard you're going to see it just like i predicted they would say nothing about the virus for a couple weeks and then when there's some reopenings happening and there's younger people who are all marching out together getting sick because the, the, the biggest way to spread this disease is a lot of people in close proximity. Right. That's actually that's actually the single riskiest thing you can do. And people that think, oh, I'm wearing a mask, so it's fine. Uh-uh. If mask wearing and social distancing, I'm sorry, if mask wearing alone without social distancing were sufficient, why aren't we all back in the office doing everything we need to do? Someone explain this to me. Right. Why can't we all go to a movie theater and sit shoulder to shoulder with masks on? Oh, because it's indoors. Okay, what about outdoor movie theaters? Hundred of us, masks on. Oh no, we can't do that. We can't do that. That's too. That's too scary. But the protesters can do what they do. Um, my friends, I'm. Uh, I'm sick of all the lies. I know you are too. But we have to keep hammering them on this stuff, because as long as they get away with it, they'll continue to do it. I also think that we're beginning to see because they're finally enforcing the laws. Now, the law enforcement, at least at the federal level, is getting the political backup that it needs to say, no, you're not destroying statues. No more of this madness that has overtaken the country for weeks. Uh, Once the Democrats get on defense with this, remember the Black Lives Matter movement before collapsed into a really unimpressive end where everyone just kind of realized, wait a second, people are hating cops. There's more people getting killed in in minority-majority neighborhoods. What was accomplished by all this? And the answer was nothing. If we keep holding up the mirror to truth here, people will soon figure out that, guess what? This latest movement, which was all supposed to be about George Floyd, this is just the left showing its rage and making everything worse for everybody. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I suppose it was inevitable, but they have come for Mount Rushmore. Remember on this show, maybe, I don't know, two weeks ago, I made a joke about how, just like the Taliban destroying the Buddhas of Bamiyan, uh, the Democrats were pretty much at a place 
emotionally as a party where they're they're ready to just fire off a bunch of RPGs at Mount Rushmore, just like the Taliban did, because it's so racist. Well, turns out because there's going to be an Independence Day celebration with fireworks out at, at Mount Rushmore, Democrats are targeting it. And the New York Times, which really is a, an outlet of anti-American enemy propaganda at this point. I mean, the New York Times is a disgrace. It is not an organization that I think acts ethically or honorably. It has been overtaken by the woke. It has the journalists who are actually trying. And I know there are some who are trying to do their jobs as journalists inside that institution who still believe in such a thing as journalism. They have been steamrolled by the woke lunatics. And so now they're complicit. Now they're just a part of it, too. Yeah, okay, fine. We'll destroy this person and we'll destroy that person. And we're going to try to bring America to its knees and the whole thing. Uh, Remember, great civilizations do not die by murder. They die by suicide, my friends. You've heard the quote before. But uh, the New York Times had a piece just yesterday. Mount Rushmore was built on land that belonged to the Lakota tribe and sculpted by a man who had strong bonds with the Ku Klux Klan. It features the faces of two U.S. presidents who were slaveholders. So this was basically a full-on woke assault on Mount Rushmore. The land it's on, the people it uh, commemorates, the presidents it commemorates, and the person who was behind the whole project. Top to bottom, Mount Rushmore, racist, gotta cancel it, gotta cancel Mount Rushmore which I'm sure people in that part of the country with the two million visitors a year, usually who go to Mount Rushmore and just the amazing engineering feat that it represents. I would assume that people would have a problem with that. But here's what I, what I responded to the New York Times publicly on Twitter with. And I, I think this really caught on quite a bit. OK, so these are the new rules now. These are the new rules. Uh, Mount Rushmore because it was built on land taken from Native Americans, which, okay, let's just go with that. And that, therefore, means that there's an illegitimacy to it. I think the New York Times needs to really step up and show leadership here because the New York Times building is located on land the Dutch colonists swindled from the Native population. That's right. They took Manhattan for a handful of beads. Wampum, my friends. So now the New York Times must abandon their stolen land and donate the proceeds for their office tower in New York to Black Lives Matter. Because, of course, because that's justice. But they won't. They won't. Now, you might say, Buck, wouldn't everyone, wouldn't you have to leave your apartment? Yeah, well, first of all, I don't own any land here. I just rent. And secondly, uh, I think the New York Times should set the example. They're the ones that are saying Mount Rushmore is no good. Mount Rushmore's on stolen land, which is also fascinating, and, and hat tip my friend Jesse Kelly for uh, pointing this one out. But uh, I, I'm somebody who likes to use the history that the libs don't like to talk about when they want to play these games with historical fights. But Jesse pointed out as well uh, on, on, his, on, on Twitter that the Lakota Indians initially came from Minnesota, and when they moved to the Dakotas, Uh, They kicked out the local tribes and did so not in a friendly way, but by killing them and exterminating them and and kicking them off their land. 
and that intra-tribal warfare in the new world, as we call it, in whatever this country was, which it was not, in fact, a country. It wasn't a nation state before we arrived. That's just there, there was no one political entity in charge of it, as we know. Uh, that there was constant fighting and warfare among the among the tribes. So does that get is that all OK? Is that all excused? Uh, there were, in fact, Native Americans who made slaves of other Native Americans. Does that ever get talked about or no, not so much? The Aztec Empire, as I've discussed before on the show, because I'm a big fan of the I want to say big fan of fascinated by the story of Cortez as the most impressive conquistador uh, from the New World. What he did just from a pure political and military challenge perspective was one of the most incredible feats any human being ever pulled off in all of history. But when he arrived, the Aztecs had subjugated and made slaves of hundreds of other tribes, controlled an empire of at least several million people, and engaged in ritual human sacrifice. Guess who they used as the sacrifices? Slaves from conquered tribes. So if we're going to talk about oppression in the past and who, was, who did wrong to who then, let's actually talk about it. Let's, re- let's really have that conversation. But no, the Democrats just are constantly on this. Uh, white European colonialism is a great evil that had, you know, the, nothing like it had ever existed in the history of the world before. Oh, and America made sla- came up with slavery, that America created the institution of slavery, which is, I mean, to say that this is ahistorical nonsense is to, is to be far too kind. Uh, but I can't, no, no salty language on the Buck Sexton show because I know there are kids listening. So you know what I would say about it, though. I'll just put it to you that way. And now we also have the understanding that we're supposed to pay money for this historical stuff, too. That that's that's coming back. Right. That we have to have as a society that is confronting the discrimination of the past. We are told the way to handle that today is to discriminate now. That there should be, as Scalia called it, a racial caste system in the law. Where some people from some ethnic backgrounds are elevated as a function of law above others because it's making up for a history of discrimination. Now, this is fascinating because play this out in, in your head. Uh, let's say, in, you know, University of California is looking at affirmative action again, reinstituting it. And they've gotten rid of it for 20 years, but they want to bring it back. I think they actually have, but maybe there's a few more things that have to happen, but they're, they're going to bring it back. So now if somebody arrives here, let's say a uh, Nigerian-American, right, someone who moves here from Nigeria, um, they, will be the benefi- they will be the beneficiary of a system that says because your ancestors were oppressed, you, will be, you, know, you now have a better shot, let's say, of getting into Harvard. Now, the Nigerian who has arrived here, let's say, brought here by parents and applying to college now, right, um, not only has that person never suffered uh, this kind of discrimination that we're talking about in the historical context, that person's ancestors did not suffer the discrimination either. They're from Nigeria. And oh, by the way, Nigerian Americans uh, average household income is higher than the average Caucasian white household income in America. 
Asian Americans, as you probably already know, have the highest household income of any ethnic group in America. So this system that we're always told is about perpetuating white supremacy and everyone has to be constantly bending the knee and begging forgiveness. And, you know, the implied component of the argument, too, is that if you're white, you've had it easy. It's been so simple for you. You haven't earned what you have. It's not because you made good choices that you're. No, no, no. It's because there's a system that elevates you at the expense of others. No one ever tries to even explain on the left why that system has on a financial and economic basis elevated Asian Americans to have the highest uh, household income of any ethnic group in the country, substantially the highest and by far and for a long time. So they don't even try to tackle these issues or problems. No, now they'll just move into the left. The Democrats will move into a phase where they're just demanding more stuff. The philosophical arguments about all this and the history and everything else. And, and it turns into all right, so we, we've, been, we've been tearing down your statues, and now I know different newsrooms will refer to black and brown people. I've seen this now with capital B to establish. So, so an individual's race, racial designation, according to the New York Times, will now have a capital letter. They've made this change. I think this is fascinating, too. I mean, and I really, I, I really just want to ask questions of Democrats who think that this is advancing things. So so when they use the categorization brown, for example, now somebody who is uh, from Honduras, according to Democrats, is uh, to be grouped in with somebody who is from Mumbai. Brown, both brown. That That's now the new categorization we're supposed to. As if that's not just. I mean, you want to talk about erasing individuals' experiences and history and culture and everything. So now we've got this categorization of brown, but it's useful for Democrats because black and brown. That's what they always like. Black and brown oppression, black and brown oppression. That's the phrase that is used, right? Or they'll talk about people of color. And by that, they mean people who are black and brown. Brown, though, I mean, when they're talking about black people, clearly there's, you know, African-Americans or people of African parentage. At least there's some some specificity there, some racial specificity that they're referring to. But brown is such a broad categorization that what, what does it even mean? Well, you know, where, where and I mean, I'm wondering what they think. So now if you're from India, if you're from Guatemala, if you're from where do, where do you fall in the spectrum of the left's categorizations here? If you're from uh, Burma. You know, you're East Asian, but you may be very you may be, in fact, very um, dark skinned from some of these parts. So my friends, it all collapses into into self-contradiction and nonsense. And what are they even talking about? Critical race theory, which is what's behind all this, which also has its roots in Marxism and agitation as well. You can go read some of the stuff by Herbert Marcuse if you want to know the the basics of critical race theory. He's probably the most famous academic critical race theorist. Um, they use this for agitation as a means of seizing power. It's just uh, instead of the Alinskyite focus on class, uh, it's a mobilization tactic focused along racial division. That's what we're seeing, and it's very, very damaging. And then there'll be people, uh, there'll be prominent voices here that are going to demand payment for this history and for the historical fight that we're now having. Uh, Democratic Representative Sheila Jackson Lee had this to say, play clip six. The American government 
still owes a debt. The Congressional Black Caucus has always been at the forefront of fighting against systemic racism. Systemic racism, however, has been a cancer on the skin and the fabric of this nation that has not been remedied, it is only deepened. And H.R. 40, the Commission to Study and Develop Reparation Proposals, is the answer to the original sin. Uh, it is, in fact, a restorative and repair approach to the extreme disparities that rendered uh, and exhibited the horrors of the killing and the murder of my former constituent, George Floyd. Pay up. That's what you're being told. Pay up. U.S. government has to start paying people now. Pay people based on skin color. That's that. That is what this reparations uh, or they're going to give it to institutions that serve people with a certain skin color. This is such a damaging idea to what binds us all together, to what holds the society together. But those who seek power and those who seek to divide us recognize it's very useful. Here's one thought I'll give you. We all know, right? Let's let's say that the federal government finally just said, uh, fine, we're going to do it. We're going to have a, a trillion dollar. That's, you know, trillion with a T. That seems like a, a trillion dollar reparations package. And we'll give it to the left can decide what the institutions are that get it. And and we'll just we're just going to give them a, a check. Trillion dollars reparations. Do what do what you want for the African-American community with this. Um, does anyone think that that would be the, the last check? No, I mean, it would. Uh, what, what would happen when when that money would be spent and it would not address the root causes of systemic poverty? It would not address uh, problems of dysfunction in public schools and criminality in, in any community, in minority communities, but in any community across the country. We would still have all these problems. You think they'd say, OK, well, we tried that. Oh, no. Next time it's two trillion dollars, two trillion dollars doesn't help the people it's supposed to help. It does help people, though, who are at the top getting those checks, those institutions, those organizations, those community organizer foundations. They'll be doing just fine. We all know that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Our young people need to be reached. They don't need to be policed. They need to be reached and supported and nurtured. And that's what we're doing. Not only a billion dollars you're talking about, another half billion beyond that to create recreation centers, places young people can go that are positive, to create broadband access for young people in public housing. We've got to do a lot of things differently if we're going to change the reality for so many of our young people in the society. And one of the places we were able to find that money was in our police budget. Oh, my gosh. We're going back to old ideas that didn't work. De Blasio here saying, oh, we don't need to police our young people. We need to we need to create rec rec centers for them. Uh, You know, this this, there was a a whole program back in the 1990s, Midnight Basketball. Midnight Basketball. If only we had late night basketball leagues, there would be. Um. No crime or less, uh, less crime. I'm not going to let's not create a, a false premise. There'd be, there'd be a lot less crime. Um, there you go. We're doing it all over again now. That's what we're being told. Uh, this is the Democrats thinking that if only we took a different approach to the law, 
not enforce it, but just have people who are out there in the community from the state doing what a lot of really families should be doing. Families need to be intact, need to spend time together, need to be the priority. Everyone's family is their own little unit. Everyone's family is their own group more important than any government uh, official, any government initiative. But no, instead, we're going to we're going to return to this completely outdated idea that in major cities where there's still a lot of crime, let's make their let's let's have less police. Right. Less enforcement of the law and more social programs, because that will stop crime from happening. It's not true. It's not true. There is a very small percentage of any society, any city that commits a vast majority of the crimes. And this is true across all demographic groups, right? It's a very small percentage of people that are committing crimes, but they're going to commit crimes and they tend to commit a lot of them. And so thinking that you're going to just make these problems go away by having greater community outreach while now, look, I'm not opposed to community outreach. I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed to midnight basketball or any of this stuff, but it's got to be that and enforcement of the law. You don't drop law enforcement and then just raise some social programs and think that everything's going to get better. We've done this before. It does not work, but we're going to the whole country. Democrat city is going to learn this one the hard way. I hope we all learn this before election time. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. They finally arrested her. What a shock. It seemed like, how could it be possible that they had not yet put this person and taken this person into, into custody? Ghislaine Maxwell. The alleged Madam of Jeffrey Epstein arrested in New Hampshire. I'm very curious to know what she was doing in New Hampshire. Um, But my friends, this is this is arguably the biggest story in the country today because you have a few things all coming together. And look, I I don't like to do conspiracies. I don't I'm not a conspiracy guy. There are other shows that do a lot of that. That's right. The conspiracy. The Bilderbergs, Queen of England, Illuminati. Google it. I don't really do that stuff here. I try to keep it real. I try to be on point and factually based with everything that I tell you. But there's some stuff about the Epstein situation that just, and I mean when it comes to getting answers, that just don't add up. The official narrative up to this point just not getting it done. I think we should I think we should be honest about that. I think there should be some sense among us that, yeah, something's something's up. So let me tell you this. I watched the Netflix special on Epstein, and it was uh, produced by was the James Patterson, who's a Clinton friend. And so but I, I watched that special and it was pretty well done. But there are some very clear moments where they're like, whoa, well, just because Bill Clinton went to the island, they had some other person who used to work for Epstein. It was like, oh, but people went to the island for lunch and they didn't really do anything. This is pedophile island now. Bill Clinton was very tight with this guy. Spent a lot of time with him on his private plane. You know, they always they always do this thing. Of, oh, Trump was really tight with him, too. No, 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 no. 
Trump having this guy come to Mar-a-Lago, which is a club with hundreds and hundreds of members, or rather, you know, Trump being at Mar-a-Lago and taking photos with him when he's there is not the same thing as going to Pedophile Island for lunch, for lunch, and certainly not the same thing as being on his plane over 30 times. Hmm. But there are two questions from that documentary. So it's very clear that they're trying to run a little cover for because Netflix is a lib. We've lost another one, folks. Netflix is a lib organization. You know, it's got the same politics as HBO, which is the same politics as CNN, which is the same politics as the Democrat Party and so on and so forth. Uh, But. Hmm. Some issues, some things to keep in mind here. We did not find out in the Netflix special how it is that Epstein made his money. They keep telling us that it was through investments and handling the money of very rich people. But to make the kind of money, I mean, he's worth six hundred million dollars that they know about. That's not including whatever he had stashed in offshore bank accounts. And, you know, if he had a a bunker full of gold bars somewhere, you know, who knows? I mean, this guy had a tremendous amount of wealth and access. Uh, So I'm sure whatever they think he's got, he had a lot more than that. But. You don't make six hundred million dollars without any on Wall Street, allegedly, without anybody on Wall Street knowing how you made your money. So you start with that. You know, you'd have to make very large trades. People would know about this. There'd be a paper record. No, the one way to make six hundred million dollars would be if you had a billionaire, Les Wexner, that you had some ability to coerce. And you had power of attorney, which that's a fact. He Epstein got power of attorney. I mean, power of attorney, uh, power of attorney is what your dying relative gives you to write the checks to make sure that their medicine arrives on time and, and that, you know, the hospital bills or you know, stuff like that. Or, you know, that their dog is fed at home, whatever it may be. Power of attorney is not something you just hand to somebody you like. Mm-mm. I spoke to a lawyer friend of mine about this, and she was like, no way. You don't just hand over power of attorney to somebody. So we never got an answer on that. We also never got an answer about how is it that we are supposed to believe? How is it that we are supposed to believe that uh, the Epstein situation was essentially set up as a surveillance operation, right? That he had cameras everywhere, very, very sophisticated, the the $70 million home that Les Wexner just gave him. How many people, even if you had a billion dollars, how many friends do you think you'd have if you were a billionaire that you would just give a $70 million house to? You must really like that person, right? Or they must have something really, really, really powerful on you. But Epstein's home in New York was set up as a surveillance operation. Hmm. Yet... We've never heard about any tapes that have been seized. There should be substantial evidence of Epstein's uh, sex ring operations uh, that he was, you know, having, you know, relations with underage girls. I mean, that should all I mean, they should effectively be able to bring a, a massive. I mean, they would if he were still alive, be able to bring a massive child pornography case against him. You never hear about any of that. And you never hear. Um, about the surveillance footage of other people. Who else was going? So Epstein had all of these powerful friends, private jets flying all over the world. 
And he had an island set up specifically as his oh, as a pedophile island. That's what everybody calls it, right? So he has all of this stuff, and yet we never hear about anyone getting caught on video getting a, quote, massage. All the surveillance data, all the surveillance footage seems to be gone. Unless I'm missing something, there, there's no... This guy set up a massive surveillance operation while also having a sex trafficking ring, including a lot of underage girls. And no one else has been caught in this web. That does not pass the smell test. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. And then, of course, there's the Epstein killing himself, snapping uh, the hyoid bone, doing, you know, leaning forward um, in the cell where the two prison guards fell asleep and the cameras malfunctioned. The most high-profile prisoner in the federal system with what is possibly the most sensitive information in, the, in, in Manhattan, right near the federal courthouse, he was able to commit suicide. First time the Manhattan Correctional Facility uh, was the MCC uh, Correctional Center had a suicide like this in decades, I think ever in over 40 years of operation or something like that. I forget what the exact years were. And we're supposed to think that that just happened. Again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. How much of this do they really think we're going to accept before we go, ah, I'm sorry, this is not adding up anymore. At what point are we allowed to say, nah, I'm not going to believe you anymore? Ghislaine Maxwell, in the documentary, it's very clear they're making allegations about her all the time. They're saying she denies them in the documentary on Netflix. But they're saying that she was uh, effectively the, uh, the spotter for the sex trafficking operation and, and helped Epstein with all of this and that she was his lover. And there are very... Now, now, so everything that I've told you is, is established fact. Either questions I've asked or that, I, as far as I know, are unanswered and they're important questions, but all the other things I've told you, these are, these are facts in evidence. So now we get to where are we today with Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, it took this long to arrest her, which is interesting. And there are some, and she was arrested by the Southern District of New York, the federal prosecutorial arm of the of the government uh, that handles a lot of very high profile cases, probably the most famous single uh, federal prosecutor's office, U.S. attorney's office in the entire country. So the Southern District arrests her and this happens. What? Right after a week or so, a week and change after the U.S. attorney for New York, Berman, had this whole showdown with Barr where he said that he wasn't going to go, you know, I'm not going to let me I'm not going to let you fire me today, Barr. And Barr's like, actually, you're getting fired. Seems like interesting timing that now that may be a coincidence, but I feel like we're allowed to question any coincidences these days. I I feel like we shouldn't just say, yeah, sure. Whatever the official narrative is, that's great. Totally believe it. That's part one of this. And then you have Ghislaine Maxwell, who is going to be in custody or is in custody and going to be facing. She's I, I've read some of the indictment. I mean, they've got her on things. She's they can send her to prison for the rest of her life. If she's found guilty, she's never going to get She's never going to see the outside of a cell again. 
And there are people who have always pointed out that there is, well, I don't know if you'd call it a rumor, but that she was very close to Bill Clinton. That's that's what's out there. We know that Epstein was. So this isn't far fetched, right? We know that Epstein was. So given that she was Epstein's right hand woman and always with him, doesn't it stand to re- And also. She uh, and Bill Clinton, you can tell she's apparently very um, charming and charismatic in her own way, clearly a sociopath, but charming and charismatic in her own way, just like Bill Clinton, sociopath who and a predator. Uh, well-established, who can be very charming. Yeah, I just, I just want to, you know, I just want to be out there and just feel everyone's pain and just hold them close, like real close. I just want to hug them like, but I want to hug like two or three of them at a time and just, you know, grab them right around the waist. And, you know, mm, that's Bill Clinton. We all know it. We all know it. So Ghislaine Maxwell is now in custody. And what are the big next steps and questions that we have here? What does she know? And what is she willing to give up? Remember, it would have been a different thing with Epstein still alive, right? With Epstein still alive, perhaps he was able to protect her. That was part of the initial mind-boggling deal that federal prosecutors and the state state's attorney in Palm Beach signed uh, here, initially for Epstein, initially where they even gave immunity to his co-conspirators, which I I have never had a lawyer come forward and say that that was anything other than just completely mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. So, meaning you just would never do that. There's no reason to do that, so why do they do that for Epstein? Never got an answer about that one either. A deal that no lawyer had ever seen or could justify, and no one has ever been forced to justify that deal. The federal prosecutor says, well, at least he went to prison for something uh, where, you know, this, this Palm Beach prosecutor was like, I don't want to. I think his name is Barry Krischer. He didn't want to prosecute him for anything. And just turned on the case and people involved with the case were saying, why all of a sudden did this guy, you know, usually, you know, if you have if you sex traffic one underage girl, you're facing decades in prison. This guy sex trafficked Epstein uh, sex traffic. I mean, over 100. They don't even really know the full number. And they gave him six months in the county jail in a work release program where he's outside doing whatever he wants and still having having sex with girls that he's trafficking while he's on work release. I mean, it's it's the whole thing is just it's hard. It's honestly hard to believe. You're like, come on, this can't. No, this is what happened. And this guy had access to the very top of the United States government. He was so powerful that people were terrified of crossing him. They had him in an open and shut case and they bailed on the whole thing and protected all of his co-conspirators. And then he had the most coincidental and hard to fathom suicide, quote, suicide in the MCC imaginable. Now there's no one to protect Ghislaine, meaning that there's no one to give up names, but, you know, desire immunity for her. I want to know what she was doing in New Hampshire. I want to know why she came back from France. Coming back in the United States seems like a very, very unwise move for her. And I want to know what names she has. Because, my friends, here's what we do know for sure. She's got names. She has names of people who either knew 
or should have known or, you know, were involved themselves or turned a blind eye. And I don't mean low level staffers that were just getting paid by Epstein to look the other way. No, no, no. She knows. She knows everything that Epstein knew pretty much. So now we have another another shot to get answers to those questions. Epstein's circle included some of the most powerful men in the world, some very notable Democrats, I might add, some of the most powerful men in the world, and Ghislaine Maxwell is facing the rest of her life in a cell, or what, who, who is she worried about betraying now? She doesn't care, right? Epstein's already dead. So I don't think that there's any reason to believe that she wouldn't be willing to talk to spare her. Maybe she gets out in 10 years. Maybe she gets out in 20 years, right? She gets something out of this. What there's no you wouldn't expect a code of silence from her about any of the other individuals involved in this. But now I I just want to go on record and say this. If anything happens to Ghislaine Maxwell, I don't care whether they show us video. I don't care if they say there are 100 witnesses If she escapes or manages to take her own life, I do not believe it. Okay, meaning I do not believe their story. Let's just let's establish this right now. If she escapes or she takes her own life in custody, whatever they're telling you is a lie. Because we know she's got big names. We know she could crush people. The royal family has got to be shaking in their fancy little booties right now in the UK. And there are some big, powerful Democrats among the most powerful who are feeling the same way right now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So to make sure you're all checking out the Buck Sexton podcast over the weekend, if you missed any, Spotify is a great way to listen. The iHeart app you can listen on. Uh, I also Apple, Apple iTunes. What's it called now? The Apple podcast store. There you go. Spotify is really easy. Just type in my name, Buck Sexton. Boom. Listen to the podcast there. It's one of the ways I listen to podcasts. the iHeart radio app is much better, Buck. The iHeart radio app, much better, though. Much better. Thank you, producer Mark, for correct. That is the company we work for, and it is true. It is better. So, yes, indeed. Thank you, uh, everybody. Also, BuckSexton.com. We'll be posting stories all weekend. Your one-stop shop for all things Freedom Hut. Bookmark it. Check in daily. BuckSexton.com. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I know some of you are going to have some time this weekend to uh, read a book, perhaps. Well, we have an author and friend of the show joining now who's got a suggestion for you. Her latest book is Disloyal Opposition, How the Never Trump Right Tried and Failed to Take Down the President. Julie Kelly, a senior contributor at American Greatness, joins us now. Julie, thanks so much. Hey, Buck. Thanks for having me on. So this is obviously very timely because the election, everyone's realizing the, the election battle right now is, is non-traditional in many ways. It's uh, the Democrats just trying to, to ruin the country as much as they can for the next few months. And, and then, you know, Joe Biden's supposed to come in to clean up the mess. That's going to be the theory. But there are never Trump Republicans who are certainly a part of this. Tell us what you see. We maybe we'll work this backwards in a sense. What are the Never Trump Republicans up to right now? Tell me about this disloyal opposition these days. Well, they are kind of regurgitating their playbook from 2016.
2018, which is to formulate these little nonprofit groups filled with disgruntled Republicans and alleged conservatives. So these are people like Bill Crystal, who is the one-time editor of the now defunct Weekly Standard, other writers from the Weekly Standard, National Review, failed political columnists, and even a few um, former uh, Republican presidential candidates. So they are coming out now uh, opposing Trump once again, trying to convince rank and file Republicans to vote against him, somehow convince us that Joe Biden is a better choice as the Democratic Party is completely melting down into this leftist mob. And so my book really details the origins of Never Trump, really dating back five years. And now we can see how they're trying to restart what they started five years ago. What are the origins of Never Trump? So this was a group of people who, from the beginning, did not want Donald Trump to win the Republican primary. Really, the nexus of the Never Trump movement started with the National Review issue against Trump that was published in January of 2016. And so those were a lot of columnists, a lot of one-time Bush administration officials. There were about almost 3,000 people who contributed to that issue to convince people not to vote for Trump as he continued to win primary. But so it's really a collection now of people, kind of hangers on, people who were, I would want to say, sore losers. They want to be proven right about Trump. They've tried everything that they can to take him down. They've cited and acted as useful idiots to the left actors. And so they're kind of doing that again. And so, but in the meantime, Buck, they've reversed themselves on every position that they, they once had whether it was climate change, gun control, immigration, tax policy, you go down the list, the positions that they used to have, suddenly Donald Trump made them liberals. So that's why they're now rooting for Joe Biden to win and for Democrats to take over the Senate as well. Julie, is there one never Trumper that you think of as the leader of the movement? (laughs) Is there one who's kind of the, the king of the idiots? Well, I really do think it's Bill Crystal, And, um, you know, he really started the movement. So it's how so many of these are Trump organizations. Bill Crystal has a few. Are funded by a left-leaning tech billionaire, the founder of eBay, who's also a virulent never-Trumper, and has poured millions of dollars into never-Trump projects that are supposed to be conservative and Republican, but are funded by leftists. Julie Kelly, everybody, the book is Disloyal Opposition, How the Never Trump Right Tried and Failed to Take Down the President. Let's hope that's uh, still true in November. Julie, thanks so much for joining. We appreciate it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Just want to say before we get to roll call, everybody, that I know right now it is uh, a tough time for the country. Uh, We're not at war, but we are at war with a virus and internally with a Marxist insurgency in our midst, as we know. So things are a little bit tough. And right now it may feel like, I don't know, patriotism isn't really as fashionable as one might like. You know, waving an American flag in some places might get you a weird look. I'm here to just say for all of us, this is the weekend. You really got to wave those stars and stripes around. This is a weekend to remember that no matter what, The left says no matter what we face as a country, this is the greatest, freest, most prosperous country in the history of the world. All of us, no matter how ungrateful some of them are out there, all of us are lucky to be Americans. Uh, God bless those who came before us and built this amazing country that we all 
get to benefit from every single day. And it's worth fighting for. We will continue to do everything we can to maintain our liberties, our freedoms. And, you know, ride or die, America's number one. That, and, and that means this weekend, enjoy it. Kick open the cooler, have a bunch of beers, get some fresh air, grill up those burgers, watch the fireworks wherever you can. Be careful if you're firing fireworks. But, you know, just really celebrate America this weekend. Forget all the noise. Forget all the cry babies out there that say this isn't a great country or it's on stolen land or all this stuff. No, now's when you really got to double down and enjoy this place for what it is and remember how blessed we all are and celebrate our independence this weekend. And don't don't let anybody take that from you. Don't let, the only way it can be taken from you is if you let people. Don't let anybody take it from you. Have a fantastic holiday weekend uh you owe it to yourself everywhere across this country right now we've been through a lot you owe it to yourself be with loved ones with friends or even if you're just somebody who likes to you know read a book by the lake or something and just chill in the shade however you do it do it the way you want celebrate america this weekend celebrate our independence with that we have some voicemails to get to in roll call producer mark first up let's see what we got Hey, Buck and producer Mark. It's JJ from SoCal. I just wanted to say something about uh, the Bubba Wallace situation. Uh, Yes, I am a NASCAR fan. Uh, My dad and I love to go to the races. About a month before the George Floyd thing, there was actually a racer, a guy named Kyle Larson. He was uh, quickly uh, on leave and then fired for calling his spotter the N-word. And now we've got the whole Bubba Wallace situation. Not going to lie, when my mom told me about the whole news thing, the first thought in my head was, oh, dear Lord, hope it isn't a Jesse Smollett thing. Sometimes it sucks to be right. Anyway, hope you guys are doing awesome. Love hearing your show. Bye. Thanks so much for calling in, uh, JJ, from California, another place that is in the grips of the lockdown madness. Um, Another place that is... uh, going through that right now so thank you uh, very much for calling in and i hope everyone Callie, has an excellent independence day weekend all right next up hi this is billy from charleston sc thank you buck for what you're doing shields high and i pray we can get the president back in office again for another four years because i sure don't want america under biden uh he's mentally incompetent and uh thank you for what you're doing Thank you for the Black Rifle coffee. I love the stuff. I'm spoiled. Thank you. Well, thank you, Billy, for calling in. I'm so glad you like Black Rifle coffee. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck to uh, buy that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's great to hear from down in, down in Charleston. I, I love Charleston. It's got a special place in my heart. Team Buck Charleston in the house. Billy, have a great Independence Day weekend. Appreciate you calling in. And, yeah, I'm with you on Hoping President Trump gets another four years. Um, I, I just I can't imagine anyone who really thinks that it's going to be better for them. But, you know, there are a lot of them that are called Democrats. You know, I, I guess I can't imagine. So we will see. Um, who's next up, Producer Mark? Yeah, Buck, this is Mike from California. I agree 100 percent with your show today, man. I voted for Donald Trump to put the hammer down. These guys are a joke. He needs to have these people fired. He needs to kick the doors down. 
uh, and get the documents that everybody's hiding, okay? And these people need to go. This is ridiculous. The Democrats have ruined every single institution uh, of our social society. It needs to stop now. I'm with him. (laughs) I think that I think that Trump really does need to get fired up and use the powers at his disposal to stop this uh, this little quasi revolution that's going on. And especially I mean, the the, the corporate complicity in this is just so disgusting. These companies that are, oh, we just stand with the protesters. Crap. Ugh. Ugh. I hate it. I hate it. Well, there's so much of it out there. You know, there's a way to say it, too. You could just if, if you want to put out a statement that says, you know, we, we support justice for all. And, you know, we, we certainly want uh, law enforcement to work as well as possible with all communities, including the African-American community. And we want police brutality to be punished. Not, you know, uh, the whole country would be like, yeah, great. OK, but no, no, no. It's all this other stuff, too. It's the BLM movement, the protesters who want justice for all these different things, including the end of the nuclear family. It's uh, it's mad. it's just it's madness. It's just sheer madness. All right. Hit it next. Hey, producer Mark, it's Carrie in Kentucky. Just want to call to thank you guys for what you do. Thanks for the reading list. And hey, Buck, thanks for keeping me safe and warm at night. Take it easy, guys. Shields out. Well, thank you, Carrie. Though I have a feeling you probably keep yourself safe and warm at night with the Second Amendment. And you're out in Kentucky. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and guess you probably have uh, uh, probably got a long gun and some and a sidearm uh, that you keep at home. I'm just guessing. I don't know. I could be wrong. But uh, yeah, man, no, we appreciate that, and and thank you so much for calling in. And uh, see, producer Mark, you keep people safe and warm at night. Isn't that nice? I I think you do most of the keeping of safe and warm. I'm just kind of here. Well, you know, just saying. Producer Mark is very is very cuddly. So there's that. I'm the vehicle of making people safe and warm. And and yeah, I did listen to the show for a second last week, and I heard you telling people telling guests that I'm a cuddly fella. (laughs) You heard that? I listened to one (laughs) snippet of the show, and that's what I hear. Uh, I didn't think you'd hear that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You're just openly telling me, yeah, my producer's a cuddly fella. Mrs. Mrs. Mark, you know, says you're cuddly. Sure. Well, she's my wife. I'm not right. cuddling with the guests. Oh, I know that. But, you know, okay. Fair enough. Next voicemail. Hey, uh, Suzanne. I'm in Alabama. I'm listening to the Friday podcast and Buck asked, Who's advising Trump? Well, I heard earlier on um, Wilkow that it's Van Jones, the communist, advising him on this newest knee-jerk, pandering bill that he's putting out. So that tells me a lot, and things are looking bad. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for calling in from Alabama. And yes, indeed, I have heard the same thing. And you you mentioned my buddy, Will Cow. He's a great guy. Will Cow and I worked together for years at The Blaze. And, uh, you know, Andrews, he's a really nice guy. He is on air what he is off air. And I've always been um, I've always been very fond of him. He's a good he's a good dude. Uh, As for Van Jones. Yeah, he has an in with this White House and he was working them in criminal justice reform. I'm sure going through Jared Kushner, who takes the lead on these issues. And I'm just going to say it from a 
a law and order perspective and from a political perspective, uh, trying to give the Democrats what they want uh, at this point in time, give the mob what they want on criminal justice was the wrong idea. That's the wrong idea, a bad move. No two ways about it. So I think the administration has figured that out. I hope they have. All right. Next up. Hey, Buck. Hey, producer Mark. This is Susanna from Northeast Wisconsin, uh, close to Green Bay. I just wanted to let you know that I was so excited to hear that you are coming to Wisconsin. Maybe not in body, but in voice on our local WTAQ. You're going to be running with us. I'm so thrilled. Um, I love you both. Uh, my husband got me introduced to you, and now it's like an addiction. I have to have my daily buck dose. And my producer, Mark, is just the froth on the top. Love you guys. Keep up the great work. Shields forever high. Bye. Oh, what a nice call. Thank you so much from, uh, from Green Bay. Producer Mark, you're like the froth on top of the latte. That means I'm the best part. I, they should, right? There you go. All right. There you I'll go. I'll take it. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, uh, yeah, man, there you have it. Um, no, that's that's true. I'm, I am coming to, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, frequently adding stations across the country, and the Buck Sexton Show will be on uh, on in Green Bay. So those of you up in the Wisconsin area and in, in and around Green Bay will be able to listen on radio, which will be great. And remember, if you're ever out of radio range, you can always uh, download the uh, podcast from the iHeartRadio app or on Spotify, as I was saying. And you can subscribe, too, and go to BuckSexton.com. These are all very, very good things. Do we have one more, Mark, or do we run through the whole list? We, uh, we are done with messages for the day. All right. Did you have some messages that you're with them in spirit, but they didn't quite make the cut? Oh, there's one that I'm definitely with, but I can't talk about it on the air. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Now I'm scared. You got to send me that one. Oh yeah, it's uh, uh, it's great. Okay, you can send me that one offline. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious. Um, oh, but now we hit. Why don't we hit the actual roll call intro and do the written roll call, which seems seems to still be a fan favorite. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for roll call. All right, we got it. Next up here, roll call time. Erica, if we need to protest future lockdowns, we need to do them in a way the media can't use photos from them against us. No guns, no posters. Show up in your uniforms, your hard hat, and work boots. Chef whites and aprons, smocks or T-shirts with your company logo, business suits or coveralls, anything that shows you dress for work and do wear a mask. March on the sidewalk only around your city hall, county building or state capitol. Stay in your family group with six foot spacing between groups. Designate a drop off point for passengers and use the cars as another lawful parade around the same site. Don't block traffic, but do try to bring work vehicles with company logos. Let's align ourselves with the MLK standards for peaceful protests and show the left what that really means. Erica, I've got to say that's a pretty fantastic plan. Very well thought out. Very, uh, very insightful. Yeah, I, I like that. Like working people protesting and doing so in an orderly and respectful fashion, 
Not looting Macy's, not burning down a CVS or a Dwayne Reed or Walgreens or whatever the... Is Walgreens the biggest uh, drugstore in the country? Biggest drugstore chain? I think it is. I think so, because it includes Dwayne Reed. Oh, well then, yeah, then that makes sense. You know that Dwayne Reed is named for an original pharmacy on the corner of Dwayne and Reed Streets in uh, Lower Manhattan in Tribeca. Well, that explains why there's one on every block. There you go. A lot, of, lot of And it's Reeds. actually CVS is bigger than Walgreens. Oh, is it? Quick Google. Oh, thank you. Yeah, CVS. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm a C- look. I tend to like CVS personally. Not, no, no, not throwing any shade at Walgreens, but I tend to like CVS a little bit more. Um, I've never been to this place called Wegmans, which I hear is a fantastic grocery store they have in Texas and these other places. I, I haven't either, of, but I've heard really good things. Yeah, everybody loves it. I gotta, I gotta up my grocery store game. I know Whole Foods. Whole Foods is so expensive. I went to Whole Foods recently. It was like a mortgage payment for a house I don't own. It was a house I was eating. It's going to make me as big as a house if yeah, I don't stop. But. I don't go to Whole Foods because I don't want to spend an entire paycheck. It's a good move. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we got more roll call. Let's get to it. Michael. Buck, you feel we've already made the case on how to deal with COVID before. True. In fact, we've been dealing time and again with just about every aspect of life like that. It all revolves around Trump because it's always involving the myriad of Trump haters constantly weaponizing it time and again. I call it political whack-a-mole. Trump pops his head out and they try to uh, whack it. Our job is to whack the whacker. Okay. Job is to whack the whacker, producer Mark. Sounds like something I need a few drinks before I do. <laughs> have you ever actually played original whack-a-mole? Where oh, you have my God, I it? thought that question was going somewhere different. Yes, I've played whack-a-mole at like a carnival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun, actually. Although I always, I, I see, I grew up watching Caddyshack movies, and so I had this soft spot for groundhogs, also known as a woodchuck in some parts of the country. And because there's the groundhog in Caddyshack that really steals the whole movie who does like a little dance and is all cute and furry. It's a hand puppet, obviously. And, and so but then I, I remember seeing at my grandparents place in the Hudson Valley in upstate New York, I remember seeing uh, Woodchuck and they're, they're really not very cute. They're like they're, it looks like a squirrel that was in quarantine for six months and just did nothing but eat ice cream and mac and cheese, which is something I can relate to. So I think you're a woodchuck. Pretty much. I feel like one these days. Mm. I'm going to start wearing a muumu soon. I know everyone says, oh, just do push-ups and burpees. Burpees in your own living room? Come on. What am I? What am I? A psycho? Burpees in the living room? My gosh. See, a lot of of people are doing like these dance videos on YouTube, like dance workouts. They seem interesting. Like it could be more fun than just doing some burpees. But I don't like to dance. Maybe you should get into that. I don't know. I, I, I got to move around more, though. I mean, I used to just, you know, I, I like to I like to get in there, compound lifts, get it done. And at least I stayed the same size. I got a little stronger, but I stayed the same size. But now I can't lift anything except gluten free muffins to my mouth. I mean, that's pretty much what I'm lifting these days. And I, I want it to stop, but they won't open gyms. Gyms are like phase Z now. It was going to be phase three, then phase four. Now it's phase never. Yeah, I'm afraid to put jeans on again for the first time or like, oh. God forbid, a suit. Oh, do you remember 
Uh, do, do you remember when you and I talked about how we were going to both lose a whole bunch of weight in like, yes. what was it, like December or? or we're talking like new- early January, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't work out as planned. I was yeah. thinking this beach season, I'd be in the best shape I've ever been in. And uh, I'm just got to tell you, every time they close a the beach, I'm like, bad policy. But at least uh, I don't have to show up at that one. All white. At least they won't have to call animal control for the beached whale. Yeah. So, um, you know, but it's all right. I'll, I'll turn it all around. I only need. I need, uh, I can do it in 90 days. I was going to say 60. That's pretty fast. I could, I could, I could shed the uh, quarantine 15. It's going to take me 90 days, though. So I'm on it. I'm on it. I know some people look, oh, I'm in better shape now than ever, Buck. Whatever. You're one of those. Some people have better, a better mindset. But in this kind of quarantine mode, I don't have the mindset of eating right. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. Yeah, me too. Well, what, what fun is there? In every, every, what fun do we have every day? That's what I always say to people. I'm like, oh, okay. I work. I do five hours of radio a day. I'm doing writing and clips and research and stuff all the time. And then I'm just going to, what, have some, uh, you know, have a field green salad before I go to sleep, you know. Uh, it's just not a, good, not a good move. Not a good move. All right. Um, we got more roll call here. Ethan. Oh, by the way, this weekend, make sure you guys all eat a lot of red meat and enjoy it. Darn it. Ethan, I'm glad you know there was there was a movement to really push us all to oh you'll be so much healthier if you go plant based or whatever and there was that documentary on Netflix propaganda total nonsense did you see that one the game changers documentary total no. total propaganda it all ties into the climate change garbage too oh cows put too much fart in the air with the methane so we need to stop eating cows. And all eat plant-based, and we'll all be stronger and healthier. I know the the five people who are like Mr. Olympian or whatever who listen to this show who are plant-based are going to send me photos of their abs. Be like, all I eat are lentils and cabbage. Maybe you're just like a genetic anomaly. I don't know what to tell you. Imagine what those farts smell like. Fair point. Um, Ethan. Buck, I think you nailed it on Batman Begins being the best of that trilogy. Great story, great acting, and dialogue with great flow. I felt the Dark Knight was second, and I wasn't that impressed with the third one. Uh, Well, Ethan, you and I line up on this one. Producer Mark is wrong, which is not the first time. Uh, So there we go. Although I will, in Producer Mark's defense, say that uh, Heath Ledger's performance in in the uh, Dark Knight movie is the best of any performance in any of the movies. Of course. I mean, that's a, it sucks that he couldn't finish the movie. Uh, well, he, didn't he finish it or no? No, they had to shoot a couple of scenes without him. Like, I, I think it was mostly scenes that wouldn't have involved his voice or they just vo- they used prior takes of him and overlaid the voice on the guy that had to replace him. I didn't I was unaware of that. Yeah, he died right at the end of filming. Yeah, he went to such a he just went to such a dark place that there was no no uh coming back for him, I guess. I don't know. It was, it was kind of a obviously very sad, but it was an ama- it was an amazing performance. That all said, who would have thought that uh years uh, years later you would have Joaquin Phoenix in the Joker movie also give a very good Joker performance. He knew the two were going to be compared, but they're both excellent, you know? That's it's Coke and Pepsi. You can like them both. Do you have a preference by the way? For Coke and Pepsi? Between the two. Uh, Pepsi. You're a Pepsi. Oh, Pepsi you like guy. the Mets, Pepsi. Uh, I see I see what I see a pattern here. I see what's going on. What I have to be against the norm. Um you know, you like the underdog. I get it. 
I get it. I just I like the taste of Pepsi better. I don't know. My wife thinks I'm nuts for it. I don't really drink soda, although Snow Princess has gotten me drinking uh, ginger ale recently, and um, ginger ale, I will say, is delicious. I can't drink ginger ale just for fun. Like, if I have a stomachache, I'll I'll drink some ginger ale, but I can't just drink it. Liquid candy, my man. Um, Do you have any movies on the the, uh, schedule for that, you know, the movies that I always yell at you haven't seen? Have you made a list so you can watch one or two with Mrs. Mark this weekend? A Joker's on it. Okay. You know, okay. I'm definitely gonna gonna get the free trial Legit. of HBO Max and watch it. I will. I will. We will allow it. We will allow it. That's fair. That's a good one. There's an interesting documentary about um, Queen and the restart with uh, what's his name, the guy from American Idol who's slipping my mind right now. Oh, uh, Adam Lambert. Adam, yes. There's a documentary on Netflix about it. I'm I'm curious to watch that. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. All right, Chris next up here. Oh, for those who are wondering, I've been watching Succession, which I think is excellent. And I highly recommend. Chris, hey, Buck, I'm not that great with words, but I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all you do and stand for. You're the silent majority's voice. I'm a pretty good judge of character, and you, sir, are the real deal. I wish you protection and love. Shield time, my brother. Well, Chris, that's the nicest thing anyone's written to me all day, probably all week, maybe all month. Uh, So it's really appreciated, man. Thank you so much for that. And if... um, yeah, I'm just, I, all I got to say is thank you. That's really very nice of you. It, it does mean a lot, especially because you should see some of the other messages I get sent to me. Whoa, the libs, the libs are crazy. I kind of want some pasta tonight. You know what I mean? You know, go big or go home. Like just, I should just lean into this thing. Good news is I mostly do. Yeah, I do TV sometimes, but that's waste up. So, you know, I just throw on a big, a big coat and it's fine, you know, a suit jacket or whatever. Um, because I feel like as long as we still got locked out, might as well enjoy the cuisine. So, and for those who are saying, oh, book, you can't eat gluten. Gluten-free pasta tastes the same. Tastes the same. Everyone always talks smack about this. I'm like, it's the same thing, folks. You just need to make a little modification. Gluten-free is delicious. Al, uh, Buck, my favorite Fauci impression was regarding you comparing something stuck in your teeth is small like a virus, except the virus is smaller. LOL, I did. Well, Al, I'm glad you appreciate it. It was, it, was for your, it was for your own health and wellness. You know, you got to take a toothpick sometimes. Don't stab yourself because you could, you could then open the membrane around the mouth and then bacteria and virus could, because you don't have proper mitigation, could find its way into the mouth and then you got an infection there and that's bad because you know, then we have to use antibiotics. Antibiotics, side effects, wear a mask, the end. So, yeah, I'm, a, I'm glad you appreciated Dr. Fauci. Um, so I kind of miss having Bernie Sanders to do impressions. Of. He, he's been out of the mix for a while now. And on Succession, there's a character based on Bernie Sanders. And the character is a character also, the actor is the same actor from Billions, who plays the head of what's effectively like um, Morgan Stanley or J.P. Morgan or whatever. I forget the guy's name, but... What do you think uh, Bernie's Spartan doing? Knives. He's the head of Spartan Knives. That's what it's called. What's up? What do you think Bernie's doing for the 4th of July weekend? Um, I think he's going to be having um, a, a cookout, but using the bare minimum of contained gas because of climate change. And I think he's going to be grilling a, a tofu, a tofurkey burger. Delicious. I'm telling you, delicious. And... We're going to make sure we break it up into a lot of little pieces and redistribute the tofu. I think that's what he's going to do. 
that sounds like the worst July 4th ever. Yeah, Socialist July 4th. There you go. (laughs) Everybody gets a bite of a burger that's not even a real burger, but everyone, you know, from each according to his burger to each according to his burger. That's how it's going to go. Something like that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, home stretch before you all get to go back to uh, either preparing for or enjoying your Independence Day weekend. Notice I have not called it Fourth of July, I think, once on this. I've said Independence Day because that is what it is. And I do agree with those who say that we should call it the right thing. So that's why I'm with it. Um, Pablo. Next up here. Hey, Buck, I was listening to your podcast on Spotify. I heard you ask the question, why is the left so disturbed by the St. Louis couple protecting their home with guns? I have a theory. Mr. McCloskey was brandishing what appears to be an AR-15 or similar weapon with the left demanding defund the police. Now there's a reason that has been enacted and they can understand that explains someone needs an AR-15. They have been after these weapons for years, and this could be a problem for their reasoning. Basically, if local government isn't going to provide for policing these weapons, uh, they become or th- these weapons become more useful and necessary. Shields high. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I answered Pablo. First of all, I, I think you probably remember I did answer the question. I posed it rhetorically and then answered why they're so upset about the AR-15. But that's fine. I think you're posing your own answer to the question, which is great. Um. Yeah, now there is a very clear use case for why you'd want an AR-15 and not just like a double barrel shotgun. Someone has a double barrel 12 gauge. Yeah, that may be able to hold a, a, a mob, hold a mob back from looting, burning your home and killing you and your whole family. Right. It could if they're really that scared that you're going to, first of all, hit them with both, you know, hit two people with with a shot each. Uh, but they could rush you and they're going to get you. AR, if you're pretty handy with it. Someone tries to, even if you've got 10, 15 people, all try to rush you at once. Oh, a whole bunch of them are going to take uh, casualties in that in that process. So the use case for an AR-15 does seem to be uh, established, in a sense, by this concept of a mob coming to your home and, and threatening to kill you. So here we go. Misty writes, Governor Nuisance shut us down again. No restaurants or bars, but we still have wineries. Nuisance and Auntie Pelosi own several. Good thing I have you and producer Mark. What are these people still afraid of? If this virus was as easily spread and deadly as they lied to us about, then we'd all be dead by now. We spent the evening in our favorite Mexican restaurant for the last time in who knows how long, and the communists succeeded in canceling celebrations for our independence and freedom. I'm moving to Mars. Well, I don't want you to move to Mars, Misty, because we need you listening to the show, and I don't think that technically the Wi-Fi will work up there for you to download the podcast every day. Plus, I hear the climate on Mars is a little rough. But uh, I do hear what you're saying here. I'm hoping tonight to go out to dinner for the first time in a very long time for outdoor dining in New York. I can't, I can't even remember the last time I went to a restaurant. It's going to feel weird, like, excuse me, like, Mr. Server, you bring us food and we pay you? This seems so strange. But that's kind of where we're at. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Next up here, John. Here we go. Uh, Buck, I'm a real uh, Shields High, real news fan. I believe the Soup Nazi episode was removed for obvious offensive reasons. At least that's the argument made. Do not ever do a Texas yeehaw ever. We don't do that. (laughs) John, I I think you're right on that. I think we... uh, 
I think we established that. So thank you for reminding me in case I didn't know. And as for the Soup Nazi episode, producer Mark, what do you got for me on that? I don't believe it's ever been taken off streaming services or anything like that. Um, I, now that I'm thinking, I mean, there's a couple episodes that you could make, like Soup Nazi, The Cigar Store Indian. There, there's a couple of episodes. The only episode of Seinfeld that did get pulled from syndication but is now on Hulu is the Puerto Rican Day Parade. That aired once, and then they refused to air it in syndication. People, there was backlash over it, um, but now it's back on Hulu. Really? Yes. What was the what was the problem with the Puerto Rican Day Parade episode? It, they just made fun of Puerto Ricans and the whole parade and the traffic oh, and all that stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I never saw that one. Okay. I, I feel like Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld are the two comics that are pretty much they're allowed to do whatever they want. Curb your enthusiasm. There are many episodes that I could see somebody having a problem with. I don't agree with it, but I could see it. But nobody's ever going to go after Larry David. Oh, uh, producer Nick says the Puerto Rican flag gets burned in that episode. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay, I get it. I kind of get that one. We got some messages coming up up on Instagram. Uh, Stuart writes, Buck, need help defending against this post to an extremely liberal friend who brought it to me. Any ideas? Um... Here's what Democrats, Republicans, and Trump are proposing on police reform, and it's a bill on classifying lynching as a hate crime. Uh, I don't even I don't even understand. It's from Crooked Media. I'm not even clear on what it's saying. I got to look at this a little bit more, Stuart. But thank you for writing in. Uh, let's go to Ryan. Uh, Buck, I appreciate all you and Mark do. Keep fighting the good fight. Remember, this is coming out on Instagram. You can send us messages there. Buck Sexton is my handle on Instagram. My concern right now is the amount of anti-gun legislation in the House and Senate. This country's really started getting crazy. We need our Second Amendment more than ever. What are your thoughts on Crenshaw McEnany 2024 presidential ticket? You could be their White House press secretary. Uh, Kaylee's a friend, so I'm a big fan of hers. Crenshaw, I've never met, but obviously, guys, Navy SEAL seems like a good dude. Um, I, I we should have him on the show. We were going to have him on. and I just honestly forgot. So we've never reached out, but we will. Ryan writes, again, thank you for being a voice of reason in these unreasonable times. Ryan, thank you for being smart with your choice of listening. Thank you all, everybody. Please tell people about the Buck Sexton Show. Pass the buck this weekend while you're barbecuing. Have a great Independence Day. Shields high.